I'll invite you to turn to two openings of Scripture, Zechariah chapter 10 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Last uh, Sunday morning, if you were with us, uh, the Lord had put some things on my heart about um, the lightnings of God, specifically about um, manifestations of the Spirit, and uh, uh, I really didn't know what I was going to do with it. And uh, and I, I honestly, I can't say that the Lord has told me to go further with it. But right on the other hand, to make mention of it last week, and if you weren't with us last week, this is uh, one of those uh, uh, services or series or whatever it turns out to be that uh, that I really, really encourage you to, uh, to to go back and get a hold of last week's message, last Sunday morning's message, because uh, some things that I say uh, this morning and, and from this point on are going to be based and founded in, uh, in those things that's, that the Lord specifically dealt with me about uh, while we were on vacation. And um, uh, and as I said, the Lord hadn't really told me to, to turn this into a series or make something out of it, but it doesn't make sense to talk about the lightnings of God and then not explain further and go into detail about what the Bible says they are. Uh, to do that would just uh, kind of whet our appetites on some things and, uh, and, and leave us without a foundation to know what he wants to do. Uh, rule of thumb, scripturally a rule of thumb is that God always confirms his word with signs following. So if you want to see signs, teach the word. If you want to have manifestations of the Holy Spirit, teach on manifestations of the Holy Spirit. If you want to have healings, teach on healing. Uh, God always confirms his word because the power is in the word. And so for that reason, we're going to go a little bit further and we're going to turn this into a series of, of some type um, and entitled The Lightnings of God. Now, we're going to start with Zechariah chapter 10. And verse 1, which is a scripture that uh, I was introduced to uh, about, um, uh, let's see, uh, 30 years ago, 33 years ago, uh, when I was with Brother Hagen. Uh, this is a scripture that he uh, began praying for in uh, 1980. Uh, well, I... I say he began praying. I became acquainted that he was with uh, the fact that he was praying for these scriptures. He had been praying for him, praying this scripture a long time before I came around. But uh, in 1980, he began to pray these scriptures about um, some of the the situations that that were taking place in the in the earth at that point in time. Uh, if uh, if you remember back to 1980, the Soviet Union was the world power. Reagan had just been uh, elected president, uh, and uh, and there was uh, a great emphasis on the evil empire type uh, type thing. And uh, and over the next several years, just a real short period of time, the Soviet Union collapsed. And uh, with only one exception, there was only one country that there was any bloodshed related to that. And um, uh, and some of the, the leaders of, of some of these uh, former Soviet countries came to the United States, specifically to... Uh, camp meetings or winter Bible seminars or different events that we had and, uh, and told the impact that, uh, that, the, the, that some of Brother Hagin's books had had and, and when they had heard some of the praying that had been done, uh, they credited a lot of what God had done in their countries to some of the things that had taken place in, in these prayer meetings. And uh, consequently, that had a huge impact on me. I mean, we were able to witness God rearranging the world and changing some things in the earth and, and governments and, and so forth for the sake of the gospel just as a result of prayer. And i got to tell you, folks, I grew up in church. I grew up in the Baptist church, and, uh, and we always prayed. 
but I can't really tell you with, uh, with any kind of certainty or, or, well, I don't know what other word to use, but I, I can't tell you with any kind of certainty that, uh, that anybody told us that the prayer was really supposed to work. I mean, prayer was something we just did. Nobody ever really expected an answer. You just prayed because you were supposed to. And this was one of the, the, uh, the most striking examples of answered prayer that I'd ever seen in a corporate sense. I'd had some individual prayers answered to get me to Bible school and so forth. But, um, but I saw God do some things worldwide as a result of uh, the prayers that, that a relatively small group of people were praying. So anyway, Zechariah chapter 10. Verse 1, it says, Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. Now, rain is always spoken of in the Old Testament as an example of, uh, of a moving of the Holy Ghost. James chapter 5 and verse 7, for example, says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. So he's talking about end time events when he's talking about Jesus coming back. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth. Well, we know he's waiting because he hadn't come yet. Behold, the husbandman waiteth. For the precious fruit of the earth. Now that's gotta be people. The only thing God's ever cared about is people. He waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it. it. Seems to us maybe too long patience for it. But has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. So what the Bible identifies as the early and or latter rain is directly connected with Jesus coming back, directly connected with the people that Jesus is coming back for. The precious fruit of the earth, or we might call that a great harvest. I believe there's going to be a great revival across the earth. So that the, uh, I believe Jesus is waiting for the most people to come into the kingdom of God as possible. And I believe the thing that's going to cause that, at least one of the things that's going to bring that about, is what the Bible refers to as this latter rain, early and latter rain, a moving of the Holy Ghost to bring in people into the kingdom of God. It wouldn't make sense that Jesus would come back if he's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth, it wouldn't make sense that he comes back in the middle of a spiritual desert. It wouldn't make sense that he'd come back when it was a dry time where people weren't interested in the things of God. But rather, if he's waiting for people to come into his family, it would make more sense to me, you judge it for yourself, but it makes more sense to me that he would come back when there is a move taking place in the earth, instigated and, and initiated by the Holy Ghost, to bring people into the kingdom of God. Doesn't that make sense? Well, it does to me. So therefore, where it says, ask of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, it's talking about a time for a moving of the Holy Ghost. James 5 connects that time with Jesus coming back. So ask of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. Well, what's he going to do? What's God going to do if we do that? Notice he goes on in Zechariah 10.1, so the Lord shall make bright clouds. And give them showers of rain to everyone grass in the field. So we could just generally say, he'll answer your prayer and give the rain, the move of the Holy Ghost. But notice that phrase, bright clouds, shall make bright clouds. There's three times in the Bible that this word is used and uh, uh, translated here, clouds. I don't know how to say it in the Hebrew, but it's three times it's used. One time it's translated bright clouds, and that's here in Zechariah 10. The other two times it's used in the book of Job, and it's talking about lightnings. It's only three times in the, in the uh, Old Testament where this Hebrew word is used. So the Lord shall make bright clouds. The margin of my Bible says, or lightnings. Now, what does that mean? Well, what is lightning? Lightning is certainly a display of power in the atmosphere. Right? 
We know science has uh, developed to the point where they can tell us what lightning is. Lightning is just a manifestation of the electrical charge that's in the atmosphere all the time. Lightning is not, is not some new electrical charge. It's just the manifestation of electrical charge that's always there. Well, in the same way, if God is using that, and he does, since God is using that as an example of what is referred to as the latter rain or a moving of the Holy Ghost, it's telling us that just as lightning or electrical charge is always present in the atmosphere, you don't always see it. Just in the same manner, the Holy Ghost is always present in the earth, but you don't always see him work. But there is a time in this latter rain that as a result of our prayer, God will cause the work of the Holy Spirit to be seen. So the Lord shall make bright clouds or lightnings and give them showers of rain to everyone, grass in the field. In other words, it will produce this precious fruit of the earth that James 5, 7 is talking about. Now turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because if we're talking about lightnings, we're talking about manifestations. We're talking about things to be seen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul starts off in the first verse and it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Notice the word gifts. If you're reading in the King James, the word gifts is in italics. That means the translators added it. Anytime you see a word in italics in the King James translation, it means the translators added a word to try to help us understand what's being talked about. In this case, they did fairly well. The problem is adding the word gifts makes everybody think that the whole chapter is about spiritual gifts. And it's not. So where he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, that word uh, or the, the correct translation, literal translation would be now concerning spirituals, plural. Spirituals, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Well, that doesn't make sense to us. You can understand why the translators are looking for something else there. That doesn't make sense to us. But the word spirituals in the Greek means things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. So uh, Paul is saying specifically, now concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. Well, if God didn't want them to be ignorant, do you think he wants us to be? I think we've got just as much a right to not be ignorant about things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. And again, we're talking about specifically in this setting, we're talking about things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost regarding the last days, the the latter times, the times of the rain. We're talking about the Holy Ghost appearing and manifesting himself related to Jesus' return to the earth. I don't think God wants us to be ignorant about those things. And remember, the Holy Ghost inspired Paul to write this, so the Holy Ghost is literally saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about me. I think too much of the church is. Now concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. He goes on in the next two verses and makes a general statement that means this. A lot of people get tripped up on it, but it simply just means this. It means anybody that's operating by the Spirit of God. The Holy Ghost is saying anybody that speaks because I'm inspiring them to speak is always going to point to Jesus and testify of him. Pure and simple. Nobody is going to call Jesus cursed. Nobody is going to take away from Jesus or the ministry of Jesus or the work of Jesus, the completed work of Jesus on the cross. Nobody's going to take away from that to draw attention to themselves or to anything else and be inspired by the Holy Ghost to do it. That's all there is to it. Then he goes forward and he tells us about different ways that God operates. Verse 4, now there are diversities or differences of gifts but the same spirit. So there are different gifts. This word gifts is not in italics. It means gifts or endowments, things that God provides to us. There are different gifts. They're not always the same, 
but it's the same spirit that gives the gifts. There are differences of administrations. The word administration means service. It means ministries, but it's the same Lord. Not everybody has the same ministry. Not everybody operates the same way with the same gift. God does things in different ways. Verse 6, and there are diversities of operations. Operations just simply means the delivery system. Things work different ways, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. But, verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So gifts, administrations, and operations he's talking about are relative to manifestations. Now, manifestation just simply means appearing. Just as we use the example, the Bible uses the example of lightning. Lightning is the appearing of electrical particles, electrical current in the atmosphere, and it's there all the time. But we don't always see it. In the same way, the Holy Ghost will do things, and God has designed this in ways so that the Holy Ghost can be seen in his work. I think one of the mistakes that we make is we've got the idea that faith is operating according to the unseen. God deals with the unseen, and so you never are supposed to expect to see anything. And, folks, that's just not right. That's not accurate. We should expect to see things. Now, that may not mean see things that you want to see the way you want to see them. See, you say things like that, and some people will say, oh, I want to see angels all over the place all the time. Well, forget it. You're not going to. And if you seek after that, you'll go crazy. The devil will accommodate you, and you'll lose your mind. But there are things that God wants to show. There are things that God wants to make manifest. There are things that God wants to appear so that we know, so that the world knows, so that we know of the one that works with us, so that the world knows that Jesus is alive. God's never been one to hide away and not want anybody to know that he's there. He just doesn't do it the way that that mankind thinks that it should work. Now, folks, i got to tell you, if I was God, I'd be doing a lot of stuff in a lot of different ways. And it wouldn't take me 30 minutes not to have the whole world messed up. So it's not according to the way we want it to work, but it does work. Notice again, verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Another translation says the appearing of the Spirit. Well, what is the appearing of the Spirit? He's going to give us a list of nine different ways the Holy Ghost manifests or appears. And notice it says it's given to every man. It doesn't say it's given to some men. It says it's given to every man. Now, folks, I would caution you and draw your attention to the fact that Paul is not writing this to the preachers or the ministers or the pastors at Corinth. He's writing it to the layman. It's a letter. It's an open letter to the church. This is not written to the pastor and says, oh, by the way, you get some things that the other people don't have. He's writing this as an open letter to all Christians. And he says, by the Holy Ghost, here's the Holy Ghost saying, now make sure, Paul, to tell them this, because I don't want them to be ignorant about me. Tell them this, the manifestation, the appearing of the Spirit is given to every man to bring profit in every way. So this list of manifestations of the Spirit, this list of appearings of the Holy Ghost, you should find yourself in, in some manner or fashion, if the Bible's true. Now here again, let me caution you, you don't get to pick and choose what you want. These work according as he wills. In other words, he picks for you. He chooses. He's the one that gives it to you. You don't give it to yourself. You don't look through the list and say, well, this one, I like this one, don't like that one, so I want the best one. 
And you don't do it for the purpose of, well, if I've got this one, that'll be better than the, than the ones that other people have, so then I'll be on the top of the pile. Everybody will think better about me than they do anybody else, and so they'll think I'm really hot stuff spiritually. That's not the way it works. Paul spends the whole 13th chapter saying, by the way, this stuff works by love. It doesn't work according to pride. It doesn't work according to what you want it to be. It works according to love, your care, your desire, your concern for other people. So this manifestation of the Spirit, this appearing of the Holy Ghost is not for you to play with. It's for you to help people with. Are you out there? But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. Now, folks, this is something that for two weeks the Lord just hammered me with. Every man. Now, I can't tell you how many thousands of times I've read these scriptures. I have no idea how many thousands of times I've read them. I could quote them. I don't even have to read them. I can quote them. And the Holy Spirit, during my vacation, brought to me, verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And every man just stood out from the rest of the verse. Every man. Every man. Not some men. Not people that are called to ministry. Every man. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. Now, I've done a lot of study on church history. I've done a lot of study and reading after men that were greatly used of God. That interests me. I just finished reading another book uh, this last week on the healing revival. And the healing revival had some tremendous moves of God, had some tremendous manifestations of the Spirit. They had some problems because the Holy Spirit was moving in such, or well, how do I say it? The Holy Spirit was flowing so freely that men got involved. And any time men and their egos and their desires and their pride and all their jealousies and stuff like that, once that gets involved, people will turn it to their own purposes. It didn't stop the Holy Ghost from moving. It just created problems in the middle of it. See, God doesn't move because you're good enough. God didn't move because those healing evangelists were, were spiritually mature enough. God didn't move because they all had the right heart, because some of them didn't. God moved because God moves. That's why you'll see very often people that are used in the things of God, if they don't develop their character to match the gift that's given to them, they'll go down the tubes and they'll take other people with them. And that's where some people bless their hearts. They'll back up and they'll say, well, that's, that's spectacular stuff. That's supernatural stuff. That healing and manifestations. We need to just stay away from that because look at the problem it causes. Well, the Holy Ghost didn't cause any problems. People's immaturity and lack of character may have caused some problems. It's an interesting thing to me that Jesus worked 30 years on his character and only three years in ministry. That may sink in later on this afternoon. (laughs) If we'd follow that pattern, if we would place the proper emphasis on character as being the foundation of everything in our lives, then the Holy Ghost would have an opportunity to move and manifest himself with a lot less human element to it, I believe. Verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man, every man, every man. That means the manifestation is given to you to bring profit to all the church. That means the Holy Ghost wants to appear in and through you to bring profit to the church. Not to bring profit to you, but to bring profit to the church. To bring profit to the body of Christ. That means this local fellowship, this local church 
needs you and however God has chosen to manifest himself in you in order for everybody else here to have the profit or the benefit of the Holy Ghost, the distribution of the Holy Ghost that he intends. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to do something in church. It may not mean that I'm going to do something in church, but it means that we're all together equipped by the Holy Ghost in the way that he wills in order to manifest or appear so that Jesus is magnified. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, well, the Holy Ghost has never appeared through me. Then that means you've got some finding out to do, doesn't it? Doesn't that mean you have some discovery ahead of you? Doesn't that mean then that you need to spend some time and effort to figure out what the Holy Ghost has given to you so that you can use it? One thing's for sure. You can't use what you don't know you have. Acts chapter 3 The man at the beautiful gate, Peter and John looked at him and Peter said, such as I have, give I thee. If you don't know what you have, you sure can't give it. You can only give or use what you have. Well, if you don't know what you have, that's the place we need to start. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Now he goes through the list. Verse 8, for to one is given by the spirit the word of knowledge. Or I'm sorry, the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same spirit. To another faith, the Amplified says special faith. I think that's appropriate because we know that saving faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, according to Romans ten seventeen. So he's talking about a manifestation of faith. He's not talking about just faith that you get from hearing the word. He's talking about a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the area of faith. Special faith. What some have called the gift of faith. To another, the gifts of healings by the same spirit. In the original, both gifts and healings are in plural. A multitude of gifts because a multitude of healings. Verse 10, to another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. The word discerning means to see into the spirit realm. That's what it means to discern, means to see. So he's talking about seeing into the spirit realm. To another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues. Diverse is is italicized. It literally just says to others kinds of tongues. But we certainly understand that it means different kinds of tongues. So the translators helped us there, I believe. To another the interpretation of tongues. Now notice verse 11. But all these worketh. Notice verse 7 and verse 11 together. They bracket this list of nine manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, but the manifestation... The appearing of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all, verse 11. But all these worketh, all these manifestations work. Thank God they all work. But all these manifestations worketh, that one and self same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. Now, the Holy Ghost is saying twice, first before he gives us the list, and second after he concludes the list, that everybody's supposed to have something. Dividing to every man severally. The word severally here means specifically as he wills. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, God just doesn't will to use me like that. Well, sure he does. Psalm 145 says, the Lord is gracious. That word gracious literally means he's disposed to show favors. God is disposed. His will, in other words, is to show favors. His will is to manifest himself through you. Not just through me, because I'm the pastor. He wills, he is disposed to manifest or appear through, in and through you. That's what the will of God is. 
Now, whether or not that's your will, you're going to have to figure that out between you and him. But that's his will. Then he goes forward and tells us in the majority of the rest of the chapter about how the body of Christ works with different parts working together. Why does he tell us that? Because it's something pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. See, he doesn't want us to be ignorant just of, uh, want us to not be ignorant just of manifestations of the Spirit. He doesn't want us to be ignorant about how the body of Christ works. And he says the body of Christ works because there are different members that have different functions and when they all work together, the body is efficient or effective. And one part of the body can't say, well, you don't do what I do, so you're not part of the body. Which is what a lot of the church does. Well, if your church doesn't have this kind of ministry, then you're not a real church. Really? That's like the hand saying to the foot, you're not a hand, so you can't be part of the body. That's the whole point that Paul is making by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is saying, everybody's got a different part, everybody's got a different function. Recognize that God uses people differently in different ways and realize that they all work together. He concludes that in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. One translation says, with a separate and necessary assignment. Now, what's going to enable you to to perform that separate and necessary assignment? The manifestations of the Spirit. God doesn't call you without equipping you. So whatever your separate and necessary assignment is, you have a supernatural Equipment, a manifestation of the Holy Ghost, one or more, to enable you to fulfill that separate and necessary assignment. Folks, I guess we could summarize it by saying God wants you operating in the supernatural. Not for your sake, not just so that you can, you know, tickle your own flesh by saying, wow, isn't this cool? But to help other people. We could even say it this way. There's not one person in the body of Christ. There's not one person that's ever been saved that God doesn't want to manifest himself in and through for the benefit of other people. Now, whether or not we live up to that is up is between us and God. But that's what God wants. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. I can't get away from that every man stuff. Because honestly, there are things that he wants to use me in that I haven't been exactly open to. And it doesn't mean I've been resistant. It doesn't mean I've been rebellious. It doesn't mean I've been disobedient. It's just that I haven't focused on the fact, wait a minute, here's what the Bible says belongs to us. So he talks about the body of Christ and how we all fit together. Now notice in verse 28. Here's something else pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. It says, and God has set some in the church. Now, notice God has set some in the church. Some is referring to people. It's not referring to manifestations of the Spirit. It's referring to individuals. And God has set some in the church, first apostles. Now, folks, an apostle is not a manifestation of the Spirit. An apostle is a ministry office. So Paul has clearly gone from telling us about things that he doesn't want us to be ignorant about First being the manifestation of the Spirit. Second being that the church operates in different functions altogether. And third, he's talking about ministry offices. And God has set some individuals, some in the church. Now notice this does not say you set yourself. It says God sets you there. God sets some in the church. First apostles, secondarily prophets. Thirdly, teachers. 
After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Now, folks, I would submit to you that if you go down through the book of Acts, you'll find out that this is the chronological order that God set ministry gifts in the church. Now, whether that's the only meaning Paul has by making the list in the way that he did, I don't know. But he does identify first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers after that. Miracles and so forth. So there's got to be some reason for the order that he gives. Otherwise, he'd said God would set some in the church, first, uh, some in the church, apostles, prophets, and so forth. But he doesn't. He says first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. That is the chronological order that God put people in the church. That is the chronological order that God set ministry gifts in the church. First apostles, secondarily prophets. The church is built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. And then teachers. Why? Because we need teachers to help us grow in the things of God. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healings. Helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Then he says they're all apostles. Now here's where, well, here's a mistake that some people make trying to, to, uh, uh, explain away manifestations of the Spirit. They'll say, well, looky here. Paul is saying very clearly, is everybody an apostle? Certainly not. Is everybody a prophet? No, of course not. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? Certainly not. Have all the gifts of healings? Well, no, apparently not. He's saying that they don't have gifts, everybody doesn't have gifts of healings any more than everybody's an apostle or a prophet. Do all speak with tongues? Ah, see, that proves it. Not everybody's going to speak with tongues. Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And people will take that verse out of his setting and say, well, here's proof. Here's Bible proof that says not everybody's going to speak with tongues. But, folks, the example he's using, the subject that he's talking about is not manifestations of the Spirit. The subject is ministry gifts. Now, notice, let's back up another verse. Notice it says are all teachers. Verse 29. Hold your finger here and turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Now, there's a lot of evidence, certainly enough to satisfy me, that Paul is the author of the book of Hebrews. But whoever is the author of the book of Hebrews, the Holy Ghost inspired it to be written, right? So rather than argue about who wrote it, let's just say the Holy Ghost did. The Holy Ghost initiated it. Now, in Hebrews chapter 5, who I believe is Paul, but anyway, the author says in verse 11, of whom we have many things to say, talking about uh, Jesus and the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. Now, who is this letter written to? This letter is written primarily to Jewish Christians. uh, The author knows that it's going to be read by some of the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. People that are not saved, and so he deals with things outside of the church to try to get people to, to convince people of who Jesus is and so forth. But clearly, he's talking primarily to believers. So he says, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. Four, verse 12, for when for the time you ought to be teachers. You have need that one teach you again, which be the first principle of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a baby, a baby Christian, in other words. Now, notice he's saying in verse 12 that these people have had enough time to grow in the word of God so that they ought to be teachers. Wait a minute. I thought Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, about verse 29, 30, somewhere around there, is everybody a teacher? 
with the implied understanding that no, not everybody's going to have, be called to the ministry office of a teacher. Yet here he says, you Christians have had enough time and enough opportunity to be teachers, but you're not, you're still baby Christians. Do we have a discrepancy in the word? No, not at all. He's very simply saying this. Every believer, every Christian should grow and mature in the things of God so that they're able to teach somebody else what they know about Jesus. But that doesn't make you call to the ministry office of a teacher. In the same way, every Christian can, and I believe should, speak with other tongues, but that doesn't mean they're going to have a ministry of tongues and or interpretation. Back to 1 Corinthians 12. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, have all the works, are all workers of miracles? Of course not. Have all the gifts of healings? No, they don't. He's talking about ministries of gifts of healings. Not everybody is going to minister in a public setting in that way. Because God doesn't set you up in that manner. Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? He's talking about ministry of tongues and interpretation. Not everybody's going to have that. Paul didn't have that. Paul very clearly said about his own experience, he said, I'd rather speak five words with my own understanding than 10,000 words in other tongues. Apparently, God didn't use him in tongues and interpretation to a great level. So whereas Paul says, I speak with tongues more than all of you Corinthians, which was kind of their problem in the church, They'd come together, and then instead of having anything that benefited people that didn't understand, people that weren't filled with the Spirit, they'd spend all their time speaking in tongues, and the whole town thought they were crazy. It was a great revelation to me to find out that God did not want charismatic Christians to appear crazy to the world. Because the only example I had was crazy charismatic Christians. So Paul says of this group that speaks in tongues constantly, He said, I speak with tongues more than all of you, but in the church. God doesn't use me that way. I'd rather teach with my own understanding so that I can instruct people according to the things of God. So apparently God didn't use him much in tongues and interpretation. Or else he didn't give us a record of it. Do you understand what he's saying? So don't take these last couple of verses of chapter 12 and think it builds some case against everybody being able to speak with tongues. It does not. Jesus said... And Luke chapter 13, he said, how much more, if you know how to be good children and give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Clearly, the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is speaking in other tongues. Now, you can make excuses about it if you want to, but that's what the Bible says. I know some people that have tried and failed, given it a half-hearted effort and said, well, it didn't work, so I guess it's not for everybody. Well, sure, it's for everybody. It's for everybody that's saved. All right, back to chapter, or back to verse 8. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith or special faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Now, this group of nine can divided, be divided up into three categories. Three of them reveal something. Three of them say something. And three of them do something. In other words, there are three manifestations of the Spirit that reveal something. 
There are three manifestations of the Spirit that speak or say something, bring a message or information from God. There are three of these manifestations of the Spirit that do something. We call them the power gifts, revelation gifts, utterance gifts, and power gifts. Let's talk about the revelation gifts. Let's take the word of knowledge first and foremost. Turn with me over to, uh, well, actually, I guess we could talk about both, uh, uh, both of them at the same time. Turn with me over to John chapter 1. We'll start with that. By the way, all of these lists of nine can be found with the exception, found in the Old Testament, with the exception of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Tongues and interpretation of tongues is, a, is a distinctive and exclusive for this church age. The Old Testament said so. And that's the way that it works. But you can find all of the other seven in operation in the Old Testament. But tongues and interpretation is for this church age. John chapter 1, it says, uh, well, let's start reading in verse 43. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and found Philip and said unto him, follow me. Now, Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nazareth did not have a good reputation. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. In other words, I'm the good guy that you were looking for and questioning. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Where do you know me from? In other words, he's saying, How do you know that that was what I said? You weren't there when I said it. Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now notice what it was that convinced Nathanael to be a follower of Jesus. It was a supernatural revelation. It was a revelation that's identified in in 1 Corinthians 12 as the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge is different from the word of wisdom in this and only this manner. The word of knowledge deals with present or past tense events. The word of wisdom has to do with future events. And notice what Jesus did. Jesus, very simply, simple revelation, not a big flash from lightning. Jesus didn't say, God showed me. Jesus didn't say, now, Nathaniel, this is going to convince you that I'm the son of God. He didn't make any fanfare to it. He just said, Nathaniel, here's the the Israelite in whom there is no guile. The word guile just simply means uh, a false front or something like that. He said, I'm sincere. I'm the real deal. Nathaniel said, how would you know that was my concern? I saw you under the fig tree before Philip ever talked to you. How did he see him? How did he see him? How did Jesus have knowledge that Philip, that Nathaniel was under the fig tree? How did he even have knowledge that Philip was going to talk to him? And how did he have knowledge that that Nathaniel's concern was going to be somebody that was fake or phony? How did he know? Here's a divine revelation. It's a revelation of certain facts or events in the mind of God. Now, Jesus didn't tell him what he had for breakfast. He didn't tell him everything. 
He didn't reveal everything. That's why it's called a word of knowledge. See, some people try to discount the supernatural aspect of these manifestations of the Spirit, and they'll say, well, I have the gift of knowledge. There's no such thing. They'll think that it's some great uh, knowledge of the Word or, or some uh, serious study of God's Word or commentaries or whatever the case is will bring them this supernatural gift of knowledge. There is no such thing, folks. There is a manifestation of the Spirit that's called the Word of Knowledge, which means God reveals a little bit to you according to what you need at the time. Now, for example, let's put it in a natural context so you might be able to see it a little better. If you've got a legal issue, you find yourself a lawyer, and you go to the lawyer's office, and you sit down, and you tell him what the situation is. Now, he's been in law school for three years. He went to college for four. He went to law school for three. He's been practicing law for however long he's been there. He doesn't tell you everything he knows about everything. He just tells you what he knows about the law pertaining to your specific situation. In other words, he gives you a fragment of his legal knowledge to pertain to your circumstance, right? In the same way, the word of knowledge is a fragment of the knowledge of God, which is unlimited, God knows everybody and everything and every, you know, about everything and everything that happened in everybody's situation. But God reveals a little bit to you to show what's going on. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 9. Let me show you another example of this. You'll see the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom working together here. And these manifestations of the Spirit oftentimes work hand in hand. Acts chapter 9. This is after Paul is on the road to Damascus and he meets Jesus and the light shines round about uh, him and he falls off the animal that he's riding and he hears the voice of Jesus and he can't see. He's blind. He's been blind for three days. And it says in verse 10, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus. Please notice that it's a disciple. It's not a ministry uh, gift. It's not a, he's not a pastor. He's not a prophet. He's not an apostle. He's a disciple. That means he's an ordinary Christian. He's a follower of Jesus. So these manifestations of the Spirit are for every man, not for every ministry gift. They're for every man. Now, don't get me wrong. Ministry, people that stand in ministry offices should have these things too. But they're not the only ones that should. And a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I'm here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And as seen in a vision, a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Now what revelation did Ananias receive from what the Lord told him? Well, there's a guy named Saul. He's in a certain house, a certain place, and he's praying. Did God tell him everybody that was praying? But he told him about this one guy that's praying. And he told him about something that had already happened. He told him about Paul having had a vision of a man named Ananias coming in, in that vision, laying hands on him and receiving his sight. Right? So since this deals with present and or past events, this is a divine revelation, something that Ananias could not have known any other way than God revealing it to him. Here's the Holy Ghost showing him something for the purpose of helping him to fulfill God's plan. Right? Ananias begins to argue with the Lord. Ananias answered and says, Lord, I've heard by many about this man. 
how much evil he has done to the saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. Now, I would suggest to you that the implication is left unstated. The implication is, Lord, don't we want this guy blind? Won't that hinder him from persecuting the church? Isn't it a good thing that he's blind? Are you sure you want to give him back his sight? Now, here's the word of wisdom. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. What's he telling him now? Now he's telling him a future event. He's telling him his plan and his purpose about the future for Paul. So actually, we've got three of the revelation gifts in manifestation here. We've got the word of knowledge where certain present tense and past tense events are revealed to Ananias. We've got the word of wisdom where the future is being revealed to Ananias about Paul and his ministry. The third one is discerning of spirits, seeing into the spirit realm. The very fact that he had a vision is discerning of spirits too. Now, discerning of spirits is simply the operation. It's simply the delivery system whereby the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom came about. We see this same thing in operation in the first one that we looked at when Jesus said, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Well, the fact that he saw him tells us that was discerning of spirits. But there are other times and other situations where people just know things by the Spirit of God. For example, in Acts chapter, uh, what is it, Acts chapter 5, I believe it is, when Ananias and Sapphira conspire to lie to the church about the land that they sold. They said that they sold it for so much money, but they didn't. They sold it for more because they only wanted to give part of it to the church, but they wanted everybody in the church to think that they'd given it all. So Ananias comes into the church. Paul doesn't see anything. He didn't have a vision. He just says, why, is you con- why have you conspired to lie unto the Holy Ghost? God showed him, in other words, that he had lied about the money. Now, God didn't care about the money, but he did care about Ananias and Sapphira trying to gain a position of prominence by lying about what they had done. There's only one reason that they'd want the church to think that they had given more than they actually gave, and that is so that they would be exalted in front of the people. Well, that didn't work out real well for them. They fell dead in church. We think of supernatural church being signs and wonders and healings and miracles and stuff like that. Folks, it's just as supernatural for some people to die. Now, I I don't know. I would imagine it would hurt your crowd. The Bible doesn't tell us they had as many people the next week as they had the, the week that Ananias and Sapphira died. But that was a supernatural work of God too, wasn't it? So here you've got discerning of spirits. You've got a vision that was the delivery system. I'll tell you another example, one that you'll be readily familiar with, and that is the book of Revelation. When John is in the spirit on the Lord's day, he's caught up and he has a vision of what is the circumstance of the seven churches in Asia. The Lord speaks to him. The Lord gives him direction about what to tell the seven churches. He supernaturally understood and knew he had knowledge of the present tense circumstances of those churches. He's been in exile. There's no way he'd know that. That's a word of knowledge. And then the word of wisdom through the vision that he had being caught up into heaven shows him the end time events, things that we know of now that will happen during the tribulation period. 
So you've got a word of knowledge that identified the present tense circumstances of the seven churches, and you've got a word of wisdom, God showing the future, his plan and purpose in the earth during the tribulation period. How did it come? It came through the delivery system of a vision. It doesn't always work that way, but sometimes it does. Now, we separate them, we take them apart so that we can look at them individually. But oftentimes, they work hand in hand. An Old Testament example is when Elijah uh, had a servant named Gehazi. You remember the story of Naaman the leper, the Syrian captain? He had leprosy, and, and, uh, and one of the, the little slave girls in his house was a little Jewish girl. And, uh, and so she told, he was doing everything he could to try to get healed of his leprosy and to no avail. And so she finally said... Well, if you'd go down to Israel, there's a prophet down there that'd tell you what to do. And so he saddled up his stuff and, and took things with him. And so he went down there and uh, to where Elijah was. Or Elisha was, excuse me. It was Elisha that was the prophet. And so Elisha doesn't even come outside. He hears that they're out there. And so he says, go dip in the Jordan River seven times. You'll come again clean. Well, Naaman gets upset. He gets really mad. I mean, he's an important guy. He's expecting at least an audience with the prophet. At least he could come out on the front porch. He's going to tell me to go dip in the Jordan River, the nasty Jordan River. If dipping in water was going to do it, why couldn't I dip in the water in Syria and Damascus where I was and save myself this trip? So he's all upset. He's, uh, he's mad and he's, you know, spouting off what he's going to do and all this kind of stuff. And finally, his servants quiet him down and said, look, master, chill out a little bit. If he told you to do something hard, you'd do that. What could it hurt? Just do what he said. So Naaman's talked into it. He goes and dips in the Jordan River seven times, and his leprosy is cleansed. He's free and cleansed of his leprosy. Well, I guess we could talk about that being a supernatural occurrence too, couldn't we? So he goes back to Elisha. Man, he's happy now. Man, the prophet is the greatest guy in the world. Who cares that he didn't come out on the front porch? Who cares that he didn't have anything to do with him the first time? Man, I got what I came for. I'm happy. So he goes back to Elisha and he says, let me give you all the stuff that I brought. I plan to, to load you down with riches and changes of clothes and all this kind of thing, thinking that he was going to buy it from God. And Elisha said, it's not the time to receive offerings. There is a time and there's a time where you don't. You can't let people think they're buying anything from God. And so Elisha says, no, I'll keep your stuff. So Naaman goes his way. He's happy as can be. But the servant of of Elisha, Gehazi, he's looking at all that stuff saying, man, oh, man, oh, man, what in the world is my master turning down all that stuff for? So he lets him get over the hill, and he goes running after him and stops and says, master, master. Naaman says, what is it? He says, well, after you left, there were a couple of sons of the prophets that came, and Elisha said, well, it's not right for me to take the stuff, but it'd be okay for them to have something. That lying dog. And so Naaman, he doesn't care what the circumstances are. He says, yeah, take it. He gives him twice as much as what he asked for. So Gehazi takes it and goes and hides it somewhere and goes back into where Elisha is. Now, folks, if the prophet knows, (laughs) the prophet's telling the king of Israel what the king of Syria is doing, you know, where he's setting up his ambushments and stuff like that. Is the guy nuts? He goes into Elisha, and Elisha says, where have you been, Gehazi? And Gehazi says, I haven't been anywhere. No, just hanging around. 
And Elisha says this. He said, went not my heart with you when you joined yourself to Naaman's chariot. In other words, I saw you. There's no way he would know what happened. Except by supernatural revelation. But how did that supernatural revelation? It was a present tense event. So it was a word of knowledge. But how was it delivered? How did it operate? Remember the Bible says, what is it in verse, uh, well, I turned. It must be about verse, uh, seven, verse six, something like that. It says there are diversities of operations. There are different ways that these things work. Diversities of operations. This one worked through discerning of spirits by being able to see what was taking place many, many miles away. My name is leprosy came on Gehazi as a result. Folks, we need to realize the Holy Ghost is supernatural. God is a supernatural God. And he intends to appear. He intends to manifest himself in you and through you so that other people are helped and blessed. I, um, well, as I, I think I made mention of this earlier in the service, I've uh, been doing a lot of reading here of, uh, of late uh, about the healing revival. And there were a lot of problems with the healing revival, a lot of problems with the healing revival. But there was, uh, the explosion of Pentecostalism around the world owes its, well, it had its beginnings in the healing revival. Because the charismatic revival came about, started in 1958 and ran through about 76, 77, somewhere around there. The charismatic revival wouldn't have happened except the healing revival took place. Just wouldn't have happened. And the explosion of the Pentecostal um, belief around the world took place because of the work that took place in the healing revival. Healing revivalists, people like T.L. Osborne, people like Tommy Hicks, people like Franklin Hall... Men that you've heard of, men that you haven't heard of. They went, took healing crusades and healing, uh, the healing revival to other countries. And those other countries, it sparked something that's lasted in some, in some cases even till today. And as a result, it made the Pentecostal belief, being saved, being filled with the Holy Ghost, the fastest growing thing in the fastest growing part of the church worldwide, and that's still true today. People that don't believe in speaking in tongues, they try to act like we're just a small cult, a small group of people. We're the biggest group of people there is. We're the fastest growing people in the Christian world, worldwide. Not so much in America, but much more so in other countries. And... Um, One of the things that, uh, well, let me tell you this story. I know I'm out of time, but so let me tell you this story real quick, and, and I'll just finish with this, I think. Um, one of the things that, one of the most prominent uh, men that were used in the, in the healing revival had the most prominent ministries. God used him in a word of knowledge related to healing. It was, it was a real interesting thing because... Um, one of the manifestations of the Spirit is gifts of healings. A lot of these guys had a specific gift of healing where, uh, where certain sicknesses were concerned. For example, there was one guy that, uh, and this took place in Alabama in uh, 1962, I think it was. There was, uh, there was a big meeting, auditorium meeting, some type thing, and um, uh, 
Well, no, actually, I guess he was in a tent, tent meeting. And there were several thousand people there. And, and so he called up anybody that had anything wrong with them with their legs. And uh, there were 103 people. They lined up. It went from everybody, everything from people having canes to people having crutches, people being in wheelchairs. And this, uh, these, these 103 people were all lined up. He went down the line. He started snatching people out of wheelchairs, kicking canes and crutches out from under people and stuff like that. If they fell, he said they didn't have enough faith. But it, when the dust settled, 60 of those people had received their healing. Now, folks, I, I can't, uh, well, how do I say this? I, uh, other than Jesus appearing and telling me to operate that way, I wouldn't do it that way. But you sure can't argue with the 60% of the people that got results. So there were, there were gifts of healings. That was a gift of healing specifically for people that had anything wrong with their legs. And there were many, many people during the, the healing revival that would operate that way. That um, uh, Brother Hagin used to talk about the voice of healing conventions, which everybody except for Oral Roberts was um, uh, all the, the, uh, the well-known uh, healing revivalists except for Oral Roberts were part of that organization. He said at their conventions, they'd get together and they'd start comparing notes. And some would say, I've had more blind people healed this year than ever before. And other people would say, I've never had a blind person healed. But everybody that's deaf or dumb, I lay hands on them, they get instantly healed. It was amazing how he'd say, he was, it, was, it was like the whole room. If you put together everybody, every, every condition was healed. But certain ones would have certain success where other ones would not. With certain types of sickness and, and disease and that type of thing. But this one man was used greatly in a word of knowledge where healing was concerned. Because he would come up. He would be on the platform. Somebody would come along. And uh, he was a, he, it was William Branham. And he was a little bit short guy, real slight. Um, couldn't hardly talk to people. Backwoods type fellow. Didn't have any education. He was a forest ranger. And the reason he was a forest ranger is because he didn't want to be around people. And so he'd get around people. And, and, and he was just the, the meekest um, mousiest kind of little guy that you could imagine. And, and, you know, I don't know how to describe it. I don't mean to be critical. I, I don't mean to, to give the wrong impression. He just, he's just not the Moses Samson type, type guy, you know. And he said that, or, or the, the reports were, and I've seen some of this stuff even on videotape, some of the, the later things on videotape. He'd stand there and he'd kind of fidget back and forth like this, you know, talking to somebody. And, and he'd be real, real careful to, to, uh, to address them in a certain way and re- very respectful in the manner that he did. And he said, now, sister, uh, I suppose that, that you and I are strangers, are we not? And she said, yeah, I've never met you before. I, 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 and he'd say, well, I, I, I suppose there's no way that I'd know anything about where you're from or anything like that. Go through the whole thing for the sake of the audience. Just to let everybody know that I don't know her. She doesn't know me. I don't have any. He'd say, now, did anybody ask you any questions about yourself since you've been here or, or have any prior knowledge that you were coming? You know, just set the thing up. Let everybody know that there's no way that he knows anything about him. Spend about five minutes going through this whole thing. And, and then he'd, he'd just be shifting back and forth and this kind of stuff. And then he'd finally say, then he'd stiffen up. You could just see something would come over him. It's the Holy Ghost. Something had just come over this guy. He'd stiffen up. He'd say, your name is such and such. You live at such and such a place on such and such a street. 
You've got a white house with a picket fence around it. You've got a backyard with a swing set in it. He'd just go through this whole thing, whole list of stuff. And he'd go through just, just, just item after item, tell people a bunch of stuff. Now, you've been to the doctor, and the doctor's told you you have this, but you don't think it's that because you have this symptom. And, and I mean, just details after details, some of the most specific details that you could possibly imagine. Now, the people that were in these services would say that when that would start to operate, well, let me, let me finish the story, and then I'll back up. After he'd go through this whole thing, he'd say, now I can see, sometimes he'd lay hands on them. Sometimes he, and, and the way that God used him is when he laid his left hand on them, he could tell what their, their condition was. But other times he just knew by the word of knowledge what the situation was. And so it just kind of depended, you know, which way the, the Lord was, uh, was manifesting at that moment. And so these, uh, these times where the word of knowledge was in operation, he would, um, uh, he'd go through this whole thing and finally after he would diag- uh, tell what the diagnosis was and what the doctors had said and what the whole situation was he'd say well okay go your way you're healed that's it wouldn't pray for him wouldn't lay hands on him wouldn't touch him wouldn't do anything sometimes there would be an instant healing other times the lady would come back the next day and say I'm the lady that blah 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 here's what happened I've been back to the doctor and here's what changed and, and that type of thing now I've always heard stories from Brother Hagin about the healing revival, and I always expected there'd be lightning flashes, you know, thunder and lightning and stuff like that. I mean, that's what happened when Moses went up on the mountain. When God's doing something by the Holy Ghost, it must be like that, right? Well, it's not. But here's what somebody in the, in the, um, uh, what people in the, the services would say. They would say this. They said when he began to operate, when he'd stiffen up and he began to operate in the Holy Ghost and the words of knowledge and, and like that, it was not just something where people would sit there and say, wow, I've never heard anything like this. There was a presence that would go out over the whole crowd. There was an excitement. There was something. There was a, uh, a, well, nobody knew how to describe it. The best way I can describe what they seem to be saying is that there was some kind of divine attraction that would get off on everybody else. It was not just a matter of being a spectator and seeing somebody tell other people about what was taking place. There was a supernatural presence that would go out over the whole congregation. And folks, we're talking tens and twenties, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 people in some cases. We're not talking about some small backwood brush arbor thing. We're talking tens of thousands of people. And there would be a presence, there would be a drawing, there would be a manifestation of the presence of God. That would be in that place. And it would just get on everybody. And it would create such an excitement. Such an expectancy of faith. That people would get healed in their seats. Why? Because one guy is telling somebody where they live. By the Holy Ghost. Because one person. One man was being used of God. To explain supernaturally. Circumstances of this person's life. That they could not know any other way. Except by God. I have one and only one, well, no, I've got two purposes. One I'll share with you. I've got two purposes in talking about these things. I want to build an expectancy and a desire in you for these things. Let me read the last verse of 1 Corinthians 12. We read the whole chapter, pretty much the whole chapter. But let me finish with what it says. First Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 31, after he talks about manifestations of the spirit, the body of Christ working together, 
Different people, different ministries, different works, all working together. And then ministry gifts. He says in verse 31, but covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. Now, the more excellent way that he's talking about is going to be the love of God. That's the foundation for how these things work. That's what's missing in the church at Corinth. They've got manifestations of the Spirit, but they don't have any love as a foundation. But notice what he said. He said, covet earnestly the best gifts. Covet earnestly the best gifts. My opinion. I always try to tell you what my opinion is. If I'm telling you my opinion, I'll try to identify that it's my opinion. Here's my opinion. I think one reason the manifestation of the Holy Ghost is so lax in the modern day church is because there's no coveting these things. This word covet means to zealously desire, to be zealous for. Now, the charismatics were zealous, but they had a zeal without knowledge. Now, we've got knowledge, but I think a lot of the church has lost its zeal. He goes on in chapter 14, after telling about the love of God, he says, follow after love and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. In other words, the reason he's talking about prophesying is he explains that when you speak in tongues, that benefits you, but it doesn't benefit other people because they can't understand what you're saying. So what he's saying is desire spiritual gifts that bless and affect everybody. Would it make sense to you that God would do less before Jesus comes than he did when Jesus first came? Everything that I see about God is he saves the best for last. When Jesus turned the water into wine, everybody marveled at how the wine that he made at the end was better than what they started with. That seems to be the pattern that God works on. He saves the best for last. That's what Jesus is waiting for. He's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. And the precious fruit of the earth is going to be brought about by this rain, this latter rain, this lightnings of God, these manifestations of the Spirit. Well, you think God's just going to take a half-hearted stab at it and say, well, that's good enough. I don't. I don't at all. I think there's going to be such a manifestation of the Spirit of God among those who will desire it and give themselves over to it. I don't think by any means that that's going to be the whole church. You can't even get the whole church to agree that they exist. But the ones who will, we're going to see the lightnings of God. We're going to see the lightnings of God. I trust we're mature enough to point to Jesus instead of ourselves. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Holy Spirit, we see what's available. We see what we can have. We see what it is the will of God for us to have. Do the work necessary in us, Lord. Not to make us good enough. That's not what dictates or determines the move of the Spirit. But help us to grow in the love of God. Help us to develop the character of God to such a degree that we're clear channels. Father, I pray for the people of this church that you would reveal to them 
how you wish to manifest the Holy Spirit through them. Father, I pray because we've been praying for and we've asked you for the rain for many, many years in this church. I pray that these people, this people, this family would be known as a people of power. As a people of whom the Holy Ghost uses. Whether in great miracles and power, demonstrations of power. Our Father, things behind the scenes that just show your love and your mercy. We'll not put our own interpretation on what's important and what's not important. Or more important and less important. But Holy Spirit, move. Move in us. Move through us. That your plan, your purpose, your will is accomplished. Not our will, Lord, but yours. We simply will to be used. You dictate how. You determine when. Oh, Father, teach us. Holy Spirit, teach us to cooperate with you. Teach us to cooperate. We know we don't have to talk you into being willing to manifest yourself. We simply have to learn to cooperate. Teach us, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is one of those times where I'd like to talk all afternoon about this stuff. Because the more we talk about it, the more we emphasize it, the more the Holy Ghost has freedom to move. There's a lot of things I want to share with you about these things. There's a lot of stuff that the Holy Ghost is sharing with me. Pray for me that I'll be able to to get it out the right way. Because there's some great stuff that God wants to do. Some of it I've seen. Some of it I just have a... Well, I can't call it an inward knowing. Well, kind of, it, it, uh, it is kind of an inward knowing. Some of these things are hard to describe. But I just have an inward sense that God wants to do some great stuff. Whoever said God wants the revivals to end? Why would he? Why can't we have one now? It's not like we'd be praying against his will, would it? Well, why don't we all stand? We are, uh, as we mentioned earlier, we are going to have a baptismal service in just a moment we invite you to to stay with us if you can 
Those of you that are going to be baptized, feel free to excuse yourself now and prepare yourself, get ready. We'll can, uh, get started up out in the courtyard here in just a few moments. God bless you. We love you. I want the best for you. I want the best for our church. I want the best for all of us. I want you to be used of God. I'd rather come to church and tell your stories than tell my own. That's what I'm believing for. I'm believing for too many stories to be able to share them. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you in just a few moments.